Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Breaking news on this Wednesday. Attorney General William Barr planning a news conference tomorrow on Thursday regarding Bob Mueller's report. Attorney General William Barr will hold a news conference at 9.30 a.m. Washington time on Thursday on the release of special counsel Robert Mueller's redacted report. This according to a fresh statement from the Department of Justice. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio chief Washington correspondent. We are following all of the details surrounding the release of this redacted report, plus fresh news from the Wall Street Journal this afternoon that U.S.-China trade talks are nearing completion in May. We have an all-star panel to talk politics and policy. Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News Congress Deputy Managing Editor, and Sylvan Lane, finance and economy reporter for The Hill Newspaper. He, of course, is making his first appearance on this program. And later on, we'll hear from J.W. Verrett, a banking law professor at the Antonin Scalia Law School and the former chief economist for the House Financial Services Committee under previous chairman Jeb Henserling. We get his take on Herman Cain and Stephen Moore's chances for the Fed board. It's Mueller Report Eve. We're finally going to get it tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m., according to a statement released just within the last hour by the Department of Justice. Attorney General William Barr is set to hold a news conference at 9.30 a.m. Washington time on Thursday as the release of special counsel Robert Mueller's redacted report finally becomes made public. Now, this is a a nearly 400-page report. It's going to be closely, closely scrutinized every which way, including the redactions. Remember, it's going to be heavily redacted, but color-coded redactions, giving reasons and annotations as to why these were Redacted Democrats, they are already saying that they might have to file lawsuits in order to get full reasoning as to why this is redacted and potentially even to put pressure on Bob Mueller to release this. Republicans and Democrats alike have already been chattering before they left for congressional recess to get Bob Mueller himself to testify before the congressional committees. And Attorney General William Barr, he's going to be out in front of the cameras tomorrow morning, 9.30 a.m., but he's already scheduled to be back in the House of Representatives on May 2nd. So we're going to be hearing much more from A.G. William Barr uh, 
And, and, and it, it continues. Anna Edgerton is a political editor for Bloomberg News. Sylvan Lane is a finance and economy reporter for The Hill. We're going to have also the latest coming up on the show on the U.S.-China trade talks, as well as how this is impacting the president's nominees to the Fed board. But, Anna, let's start with the breaking news tonight, which is tomorrow morning we're getting this redacted version of the Mueller report, what are you going to be looking for? Yeah, of course, this is a moment, like you said, that we've all been waiting for for a long time now, for almost two years at this point. And we did see, more than two years. More, yeah, you're right. More than two years. Um, you know, we did see William Barr's summary. But again, that was his interpretation of what Mueller's conclusions were. And that was done very quickly within a weekend. So this is going to be a much more complete view of what Mueller's team found in their two-year investigation. And like you said, the redactions are going to be watched almost as closely as the content. Yeah, I mean, the redactions are going to be a huge part of this. I mean, a lot of people are obviously going to want to know what's behind those color-coded lines. It's going to be hard to tell if we're going to know. But, you know, one thing that I'm going to be paying attention closely to is how this might inform some of the other investigations into the president and into his finances that are currently going on in Congress. The House Financial Services Committee and the House Intelligence Committee are leading a coordinated investigation into the president's finances. Chairwoman Maxine Waters of the Financial Services Committee, she's been looking into the president's finances. She's subpoenaed documents from Deutsche Bank, and it's going to be interesting to see how she and the other chairs of the Congressional Committee take this report and see how this kind of influences the way that they conduct their investigations. Sylvan Lane is a finance and economy reporter for The Hill newspaper. You can read his newsletter every day that comes out. It's a must-read. You have to read it. It's called On the Money. It's a newsletter inside of the Beltway focusing on the intersection of Washington and Wall Street. And he mentioned Deutsche Bank. He mentioned these financial institutions. Let's take it a step further. Because there's also some big tech institutions that are also potentially have some headline risk in this report. If you go back to yesteryear, if you go back to what we saw in the intelligence community reports that came out from DNI and the likes, big tech, Deutsche Bank, all of these financial institutions, they also might be named in this investigation. That's a really good thing to point out, not just companies, but also individuals. There are a lot of people and firms that are could be exposed to more scrutiny, t- depending on what we see tomorrow. And that was an excellent point about how other committees are going to kind of take what they see in the more complete Mueller report tomorrow and kind of use that to follow up in their own congressional, com- uh, congressional investigations on all sorts of things. You mentioned finance, but also in areas, uh, con- you know, regarding appointments and other actions that Trump has taken as president, um, especially when it comes to obstruction of justice and some of his business dealings. Definitely. The business dealings is going to be huge, especially in terms of you know some of the congressional committees. We've already seen a lot of interest in the potential Trump Tower Moscow deal. We've seen a lot of interest in the president's connection to Deutsche Bank, who is one of the few banks that would continue to lend with him when a lot of other banks decided not to deal with them at all. We know that Deutsche Bank has had troubles in the past with allegations of money loss. Laundering. Uh, there was a big settlement with the just Justice Department, and I believe it was 2017, regarding uh, money laundering that had to do with Russia. That's been a huge, huge focus for Maxine Waters, one of Trump's fiercest critics in Congress. And I would expect to see a lot of action and movement on that front, especially from Waters, who said after Michael Cohen's testimony before the House Oversight Committee that Congress should be taking a much deeper look into the president's finances and that whether it pertains to the Mueller report, uh, the issue of Russia collusion or not, that there's 
a lot more ground for them to cover there. You mentioned companies and I mentioned individuals, but also countries. You know, this could have geopolitical implications when we see what exactly the Mueller team detailed about Russia's interference in the 2016 election, because even William Barr's summary of the Mueller report did say that there was evidence of Russia's interference. So that's also something that's going to get a very close look tomorrow. So bottom line, top line view, if you're in your car on your way home from work tonight, the breaking news is that Attorney General William Barr is going to give a press conference tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. upon the release of the redacted version of special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation into the redacted version of the Mueller probe. More than 400 pages. Now, likely we're going to hear... First point that I would make, we're likely going to hear testimony in the coming weeks once lawmakers come back from recess from the attorney general himself. He'll return to Congress on May 2nd, also likely from special counsel Bob Mueller. Point number two, beyond the politics, you're going to hear Democrats push for the full release and you're going to hear Republicans say it's time to move on. That's the political implications. But the third top line viewpoint Look at the headline risk. Look to see what companies are named. Look, as Anna pointed out, to see whether or not there's going to be geopolitical implications as well. And, of course, as Sylvan pointed out, into Deutsche Bank, that, potent, that poses potential headline risk uh, in the long term. From the White House's perspective, the politics of this is a settled score. The president tweeting out earlier this morning, quote, the witch hunt has been a total fraud on your president and the American people. It was brought to you by dirty cops, crooked Hillary and the DNC, end quote. From the Trump Organization perspective, Eric Trump, an executive vice president at the Trump Organization, also pushing back via social media on those House Intelligence and House Financial Services Committee investigations that came to light following the reports of those subpoenas by saying that the American people want Congress to do their job and to move on. It's just getting good, folks. And tomorrow it all comes to light. It isn't up to the attorney general who has said basically that the president is above the law and and the rest. So he's there to redact whatever he wants. Well, let's just see what he puts forth before we make You can't make a judgment about something that you haven't seen yet. And so we look forward uh, to seeing it. That's Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi speaking earlier today, or yesterday, I guess technically, in Dublin, Ireland. The Speaker of the House is traveling in Dublin while Washington and America waits for the final release of the redacted version of Bob Mueller's investigation. We're going to get it tomorrow morning. Breaking news tonight. Attorney General William Barr says that he's planning a news conference Thursday morning, 930 a.m. Eastern time upon Bob Mueller reports release. It's 400 pages about. It's going to be redacted. And the fallout from it is going to be quick and swift. The White House, according to sources in the White House, around the White House, they're saying this was settled. This was settled upon Attorney General William Barr's four page release. No additional indictments, no evidence of collusion. Democrats, including House Appropriations Committee Chairwoman Nita Lowy, Democrat from New York, saying they might have to file lawsuits in order to push, push forward to get an unredacted version of that report. The politics very much impacted upon whatever is in that report or whatever is redacted in that report. But dig deeper because there's headline risk. There's headline risk for financial institutions like Deutsche Bank, as well as for potentially big tech institutions. Will Facebook, Google, other social media platforms be wrapped up in this report tomorrow, as they have been 
in DNI reports and intelligence reports as well. Other news we're following this afternoon are the U.S.-China trade talks, and that's why I'm so thrilled to have Anna Edgerton, a political editor for Bloomberg News, with me for the hour in studio, as well as Sylvan Lane, his first time on the program. He's a finance and economy reporter for The Hill. You can subscribe to his daily newsletter on the money at thehill.com. And Anna, there have been breaking developments this afternoon from the Wall Street Journal, which kickstarted this, but matching Bloomberg reporting, which is that the U.S.-China trade talks could be wrapped up by the end of May. They haven't really moved the goalposts at all in terms of the timeline for there to be an agreement between the U.S. and China. And this is something that companies across the world have been looking at, not just in the United States and in China, but these are the two biggest global economies. And to be to be waging a trade war like this with tit-for-tat tariffs and quotas for purchasing of different commodities, this is something that must be resolved as soon as possible if the global economy is going to grow at its full potential. And that's going to be increasingly important as we kind of come to the towards the end of this cycle of growth and start looking at the possibility of a recession in the future. The more uncertainty that you can get out of the global market, the better chance these economies will have to weather whatever comes in the future. And let's just get into like the minutia for, uh, for a minute in terms of catching everybody up to speed for what we learned from the Wall Street Journal today, which is that Liu Hua is going to be a meeting again with U.S. Trade Representative Bob Lighthizer in Beijing at the end of this month or around the corner of like May 1st, May 2nd. And then there's going to be Liu Hua traveling back to the U.S., to continue trade negotiations with uh, Mr. Lighthizer as well as Treasury Secretary Mnuchin. Uh, Lehua is, of course, the essentially like the top economic trade minister for the Chinese. Now, the rumblings, Sylvan, is that there ideally will be this one-off meeting between President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China toward the end of May. The business community, remarkably, has found an agreement with President Xi in that they don't like tariffs as an enforcement mechanism, No. Yeah, I mean, this is a you know this is something that has been kind of the president has been moving toward for a while. He's talked for months about how you know the trade deal is coming very soon, very soon, and there's you know severe implications for both China and the United States here. As Anna mentioned, there's a lot of global economic uncertainty surrounding these talks, but uh, there's also some concerns in China that you know growth is slowing, industrial output might be slowing, and on the flip side, in the U.S., there's concerns that you know these tariffs might continue to you know hinder. American agricultural producers who are, uh, you know, dealing with the reciprocal tariffs from China, uh, other U.S. manufacturers. There's domestic issues at play here, too. And it's can't be overstated how important agricultural areas are to President Trump's base and in building support for his 2020 reelection bid. And they've been hit not just by uncertainty with these trade wars and with tit for tat tariffs, but also by commodity prices that continue to be low by natural disasters like floods in the Midwest and also by kind of looking for new markets to offload some of the stockpiles that they've accumulated over the past two years. That's such an interesting point. And President Trump actually weighed in on the uh, on the uh, U.S.-China trade talks earlier today uh, at the White House. I want to play for you what the president had to say. Here's President Trump. Our trade deal with China is moving along. And it's moving along nicely, and we're asking for a lot of things, and I have a feeling we'll be successful, and it'll be good for both countries. But that's moving along quite well, and you'll be hearing about it very, very shortly. So, Sylvan, to, to Anna's point, the president, and to your point, the president has been very peaceful in how he's approached 
President Xi. And the signaling around the White House and around the Treasury Department is that when ultimately this meeting is scheduled, and there's been a lot of ups and downs, it's a it's like a roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Like president the President Xi Trump roller coaster of trade talks, like everything these days, <laughs> right? Right, but but surprisingly, he's held his fire against President Xi and has been quite respectful and peaceful. Exactly. I mean, I there's a clear reflection within the administration based on, you know, what the president is saying, what Secretary of the Treasury Stephen Mnuchin, U.S. Trade Rep. Bob Lighthizer, they understand the stakes here. Uh, trade was one of President Trump's key economic issues while he was running for president. He knows that this is not only important to, you know, showing that he could fulfill his promises to uh, change the U.S. trade dynamic with China, but to also shore up a lot of the support of states that ended up giving him the White House. You know, we're talking about states like Ohio, Michigan, Pennsylvania that have been on the front lines of a lot of the way that the U.S. economy has been changing. And the president has made promises to not only uh, industrial states, but agricultural states that have been hit hard by the backlash to this, saying, look, I've got your back. I'm going to fight for you. The pain is rough right now, but it's going to be worth it. President Trump appears to understand there's a lot on the line for this deal. And he's trying his best to make it happen. Breaking news as we speak. Headlines crossing the terminal now. Congress members will get a, quote unquote, less redacted, end quote, version of the Mueller report. This according to U.S. officials. Again, breaking news tonight. Congress members will receive a less redacted version of the Mueller report. This, of course, is going to have new implications into precisely the type of political fallout that we will see tomorrow. Attorney General William Barr will give a press conference tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. on Thursday Eastern Time following the release of a redacted version of a public redacted version of Special Counsel Robert Mueller's uh, 400, about 400 pages Mueller report. But Congress, we are just learning, breaking tonight, headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal, Congress members will receive a less redacted version of the Mueller report. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Breaking news tonight, headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal, Congress members to get a less redacted version of the Mueller report. Attorney General William Barr is set to have a press conference Thursday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, following the public release of the redacted version of Bob Mueller's investigation. Uh, This, of course, will be carefully, carefully followed for political reasons, as well as uh, policy reasons. Will there be any financial institutions names named in the report, or any big tech in uh, any big tech companies named as well as have previous intelligence versions of the report? We are going to bring you all of the latest breaking news on the Mueller report as it breaks this evening. Uh, we're talking about all things trade policy. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. But I definitely want to touch on another major story that is breaking uh, really this week, and that is the president's nominees to the Fed board. Stephen Moore has been nominated. He, of course, of Heritage Foundation 
uh, conservative ideological fame, as has Herman Cain. Have you heard of him? Herman Cain, former Republican presidential candidate. He also has uh, some experience uh, in the Federal Reserve political orbit as well. J.W. Verrett joining us on the telephone line. He is a banking and law professor at the Scalia Law School. He's also the former chief economist for the House Financial Services Committee under previous chairman Jeb Henserling. J.W., thank you for calling in. I very much appreciate your time. Herman Cain, is he safe? And Stephen Moore, is he safe? I think Stephen Moore is safe. Uh, it sounds like uh, Herman Cain doesn't have the numbers in the Senate, but we'll see. So in terms of uh, in terms of let, let's stick with Herman Cain for a second, because I, I do think they have these nominations have, for whatever reason, been lumped together. Uh, but 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 they're very, very separate. So let's stick with Herman Cain, Senator Murkowski, Romney, Gardner, as well as others have come out and said they're just not going to be able to support Herman Cain's nominations. From your perspective, you know all of these folks in this world. From your perspective, are those concerns justified? And do you think they can be overcome in a confirmation process? Um, I think if a senator is willing to actually come out even before you're officially nominated to say they won't vote for you, that's, uh, that's something I've never seen before in Washington. So I just don't see how it's a possibility. So when the Wall Street Journal reports that Herman Cain is not going to withdraw his nomination, how much could this impact the Fed's policy or provide a hiccup for the Fed board uh, if Herman Cain just kind of puts himself out there to, uh, I guess, to, to not be confirmed? Yeah, you know, in the end, I, I think the only real impact of it is it makes uh, Stephen Moore's path to confirmation a little easier. Why? Why? That's an interesting point. Why? Well, I think senator, uh, senators that um, um, may have been at the margin will be mo more likely to vote for him because they've already, uh, I think they might be uh, a little bit restrained from going against two uh, nominees, particularly when there's so much strong support already from members of the Senate Banking Committee for Steve Moore. J.W. Verrett is a banking law professor at the Scalia Law School. He's also the former chief economist for the House Financial Services Committee under previous chairman Jeb Henserling. J.W., in terms of the criticism that that uh, uh, Stephen Moore has faced, just as, you know, being a bit more of an outsider, it looks like Republican support is still there for him. No? Yeah, I think it's there. I think it's clearly there. Steve Moore's got a long record of working on economic policy issues generally with Senate Republicans from tax reform uh, to trade to regulatory reform. And uh, so I think he, I think he'll be just fine. And then what else? What else do you have your your eye on? Uh, just in terms of the Senate Banking Committee, I know you're carefully following all of those developments. What else is on your radar? Dive into the weeds for us. Well, I think they're looking very closely at the continued implementation of SB 2155, the Senate uh, Bank Regulatory Reform Bill they passed last year. And I think, frankly, they'll be a lot more focused on Steve Moore and his views on regulatory relief than on a season monetary policy, which is why I think they'll have a fairly easy path. That's interesting, especially when you hear when these hearings are juxtaposed, and especially this is fascinating, and if you're if you're really trying to, to price sort of the nomination process, do you think that there will be joint confirmation hearings on the Senate Banking Committee? Is that how this likely will get done, or will they be one-offs and individual, or do we not know yet from chairman from the chairman? 
I don't know yet, but there is a new Senate Democrat uh, nominee for the SEC, and it might help them both sail through if they uh, both stop any delays in the Senate calendar if they were to match uh, Steve Moore's nomination with uh, a lady named Allison Lee, who's a Democrat nominee to the SEC. It'll be interesting. Mike Crapo, let us know, chairman of the Senate Banking uh, Committee. I want to thank J.W. Verrett for calling in on last minute notice to walk us through Herman Cain. He's keeping his name in the ring for the Fed chair. This despite deteriorating report on the Senate Banking Committee, as well as in the Republican conference at large. And Stephen Moore looks like he's still got a shot. J.W. Verrett is the banking law professor at the Scalia Law School. He's also the former chief economist for the House Financial Services Committee under previous chairman Jeb Hensterling, a Republican. J.W., come in and see us one time, and thanks for calling in. Stephen Moore is in the process. We support him. Uh, we support Herman Cain. We'll just let things play out in the vetting. Let things play out in the vetting. That's Larry Kudlow talking at the White House on Tuesday about President Trump's uh, selections to the Fed board. Of course, Larry Kudlow is the president's top economic Advisor, I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. There's breaking news tonight. Congress members to get a less redacted version of the Mueller report. Meanwhile, the New York Times is reporting that the White House and Department of Justice officials discussed the Mueller findings multiple times. Mueller Day Thursday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Thursday, Attorney General William Barr will give a press conference following the public release of the redacted version of the Mueller report. That's Thursday morning, 9.30 a.m. So we're finally going to get it. We're finally going to get the 400-page redacted version. More than 2,900 subpoenas issued, a 22-month-long investigation. What will there be in that report? The White House and President Trump, for his part, already tweeting out today that they feel there's really nothing to see here, folks. Democrats disagree. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi traveling abroad in Ireland, Dublin to be exact, saying that folks <coughs> should uh, folks should uh, just hold their breath, catch their breath and uh, and see what is see what all the wait to see what all the what all the fuss is about. It's Holy Week. God bless you, Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg <laughs> News political editor, uh, who just sneezed in case you're sorry not to call you out. Thanks, just Kev. Like, <laughs> sorry. And Sylvan Lane, it's his first time on the uh, on the program. He's finance and economy reporter for The Hill. He also is the author of the daily newsletter On the Money, which I got to say, I used to write it back when I was at The Hill, but you've done a great job. I still read it every day. You have to subscribe to it at The Hill. Dot com and we're following all of these developments. How is the what is the political implication going to be, Anna, if if members of Congress get a less redacted version, but the public gets a more redacted version? Sort this out for us. This has been one of the central questions that we've been looking at as there's kind of been this tussle over how much of the Mueller report to release because members of Congress who have security clearance should be able to see classified information, which is one of the justifications for redacting information. So if they get access to that, we also know that Congress is not the most secure place when it comes to information. So anything that Congress can see, you could probably expect some of the White House press corps, uh, congressional press corps to see as well. So 
we'll be looking not just at the Mueller report, like you mentioned, this 400 pages, but also at some of the underlying material to see if there are any of the supporting documents that are included in what Congress ends up getting. All right, I'm going to take a page out of one of my mentors here at Bloomberg's, uh, Tom Keene. Let's rip up the script because, Anna, you make a very, very good point, which is take us into the process and the procedure. Forget about what's in the Mueller report. But take us into the House Intelligence Room, the House Intelligence Committee Room, the secure room in the basement of the House Office Building, as well as in the Senate, where this is a secure facility. You've got to log in if you're a staffer. Only a select number of staffers gets to see what these lawmakers get to see. And this is not just in the case of the Mueller report. This deals with national security, global security as well. Take us through that process. When it comes to the intelligence committees, it really depends on the issue. There are some issues that intelligence committees in the Senate and the House have been good about protecting and doing due diligence and looking into very, very serious geopolitical issues. When it comes to the United States foreign policy, for example, when it comes to sanctions or um, armed threats from abroad, these are issues that both committees have taken very seriously. However, when it comes to allegations of Russian interference in the 2016 election, the Senate has done a very good bipartisan job of looking at these allegations and trying to come up with a bipartisan report on this. The House, on the other hand, has become a total partisan uh, battle between Republicans on the committee that have called for the Democratic chair, Adam Schiff, to resign over his handling and media interviews of of, uh, allegations that he's made about collusion. And there's been, they they issued their own report, I think it was last year, that found no collusion before Mueller was even How are they even going to see this, Sylvan, if they're in congressional recess? I mean, if they're going to get a less redacted version, are they going to have to wait until they come back? Or, I mean, are they going to get it wirely transferred? You know, it, it seems that, you know, they're probably going to have to come back to the Capitol to see this. I, I imagine that the Justice Department is going to be taking as many precautions as they can with this. You know, uh, as Anna was telling us before, you know, this is really, really sensitive stuff. This is a highly anticipated report. There's a lot on the line here. There's a lot at stake, both in terms of political narratives and the agenda. So I imagine that this is going to be something that's handled very, very carefully. And while Congress doesn't have votes scheduled this week and next week because of the Easter recess, individual committees like the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Committee have said that those members will come back to Washington if they need to to review this report. Well, it looks like they need to. I well, mean, we'll right? see what they get. Right? Yeah, because if it's a less redacted version, I mean, get out the highlighters or like the whatever they're going to need because they're going to have to go into these secure facilities. And, and and for folks, if you're in your car on your way home from work, these secure facilities, I mean, it's 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 truly a secure facility. It's not like they're on the House floor or the Senate floor or the chamber. They're in like the basement of of these buildings and like lockdown procedures. No. Yeah, the basement of the Capitol Visitor Center. There's. There's a room specially constructed like just literally for this. right next to like the middle schoolers who are going, <laughs> going on, on their, their tours. tours. Well, in the restricted area beside that, but yes, right. But like when I, well, like, we've all been there, I've seen both of you in these stakeouts where you're like jetting between the house and the senate, and then <laughs> like ten feet away behind the door is like you know Thomas Jefferson Middle School's you know annual spring thing, and then meanwhile it's like Senator Mark Warner like. In a private facility, getting briefed on all of these things. All right, so the Mueller report, that's going to dominate the discourse tomorrow. 9.30 a.m., Attorney General William Barr, he's given this press conference. He's likely going to have to testify back in Congress on uh, May 2nd. And I, I, I don't see how Bob Mueller does not end up testifying publicly. I, He has definitely 
probably the most sought after person in Washington, D.C. right now. And it's really important to point out how his image has kind of changed within different parties. Republicans now see Mueller as a very responsible, very good steward of this investigation because Barr's summary said that he didn't find any collusion. You know what they say, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. And I kind of <laughs> want a dog. But Christine Barada, our executive producer, says I don't have time to have a dog. All right. I want to thank Sylvan Lane. He, check out his reporting on TheHill.com. He writes there on the Money Newsletter. It's great. Subscribe to it. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News political editor. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg TV and radio. And remember, it's Mueller time. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com.